Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, building his church, something that is marvelous in our eyes and of which we ourselves are a part. We turn now to God's word in which he addresses the church, including us. I'm going to actually read um, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 24, every time I think we can go ahead and move beyond verses 1 through 11, I realize we need to keep that in view, and we really can't read it too often. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 24, verses 19 through 24 is our sermon text for this morning. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words from God. Inform us and transform us through them, we pray. By your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Never in short supply and always available to each one of you. Never in short supply and always available to each of us is loneliness. Loneliness is pervasive. Loneliness is universal. Loneliness is part of the human condition. Oddly enough, if you don't do anything, loneliness is the result. In that sense, it's our default condition. It takes effort to overcome loneliness. In a neutral sense, when we think of our personal history or our individual preferences, preferences, we are, in a sense, speaking about loneliness, what it's like to be me or you individually as a person. Negatively, all sorts of things haunt us in loneliness. Griefs, regrets, broken dreams. We have phrases for this. I've got my own demons. Each of us has skeletons in the closet. Painful, shameful memories and traumas are part of our histories and remind us that we are, in so many ways, lonely. Various temptations, weaknesses, failures, sinful patterns, these are not unique to one or the other of us, but haunt us all and remind us of our loneliness. There's a positive way to look at this as well. People are passionate for a cause. Thing, certain things motivate you in particular that may not motivate somebody else. You have your personal tastes. You like the music you like, the movies you like, the books you like, the poetry you like, the food that you like. There are things you feel strongly about. There are things you are personally invested in. And all of these brush up against this reality that never in short supply and always available to each of us is loneliness. What's remarkable about our text for today is that Paul very candidly reminds us of his own human loneliness. We have sympathy for Paul as we turn to our text, especially verses 19 through 21, and I think it's a, a beautiful juxtaposition within these verses that you do first notice this loneliness and, and can therefore relate to the Apostle Paul and are drawn into the text by the Holy Spirit and its relevance, because we all struggle with this pervasive loneliness. But it's also in these verses, 19 through 24, that we come to what the remedy for loneliness is, which is fellowship. So in verses 19 through 24, we see loneliness and fellowship. And that's the way we'll spend our time understanding these verses. The opening verses, 19 through 21, they bring us 
to a place of sympathy and empathy for the Apostle Paul, even as we relate on our own tendency and the availability of loneliness in our own lives. Paul says something that's remarkably sacrificial on his part in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then he, as it were, goes out of our way to tell us what he does in verses 20 and 21. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And here Paul picks all of us up, as it were, identifying with us in a way we immediately relate to. But think about how sacrificial it was of the Apostle Paul. He has the fellowship of Timothy, a kindred spirit, one in which he shares his responsibility, his life with. He goes on in this same text to speak of Timothy as a child. They have a father-son relationship. The Lord in his mercy has blessed the Apostle Paul with the fellowship of Timothy, even though he's in house arrest, he's in chains, you know, he's not, uh, he's constrained in so many different ways, but he has this blessing of the fellowship, the friendship of Timothy, who is like a son to him. And here he affirms how far that friendship goes, that he is a kindred spirit, a word that means uh, self uh, that means same-souled or like-minded, same-souled, kindred spirit, one who is also genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippians, and, as it turns out, the only one Paul can think of who's fit for this job of visiting the Philippians and returning to Paul, or returning good news to Paul concerning them. And that, that's precisely what we can relate to is that Paul sees himself in this lonely situation. We all get to this point. Only I see things the way I do. Only I am this concerned about this, whatever it might be. I'm passionate about it, and nobody seems to share my passion. I'm concerned about it, and nobody else seems to share my concern about it. I'm devoted to it. I'm invested in it. And I live among people that just don't seem to care about it. They just seem interested in whatever they're interested in, in their own self-interests. We can identify with Paul immediately when it comes to this loneliness. And I think it's helpful to stop and realize that Paul's speaking about his immediate circumstances. Paul's not the only one at work in spreading the good news of the gospel. There's other New Testament Authors, there's other people involved with church planting and church building. But Paul is assessing his own circumstances and coming to this conclusion that he, he's alone in this, except for Timothy, so he'll make the sacrifice of sem- sending Timothy to the Philippians. And in thinking about that loneliness, and especially what we've read earlier in chapter 2, I think it's helpful for us to actually go back even further than the Apostle Paul. Because we can certainly see the Apostle Paul in house arrest and chains with all that he's going through and and empathize and sympathize and consider what that would be like to 
endure all that Paul endured, going from place to place, persecuted place upon place, planting church upon church, but being shipwrecked and stoned and imprisoned and beaten, and then coming to this point of loneliness where he thinks Timothy is the only one who is of like spirit as he is, and then sending Timothy away. But before all that, there was Jesus. I think that's where we just need to constantly go back to. Of course, that's how the chapter begins. Paul gets to Jesus Christ and not just his life, but his obedience unto death, the death of a cross. And for a moment, just consider how absolute and total and unparalleled that loneliness of Jesus on the cross was. Summarized in verses 5 through 8, that's why we keep tacking it on to our reading, Jesus leaves the heavenly realm, is born in the form of a bondservant, he's made in the likeness of men, he lives as a man, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Just the picture painted by that is one of abject loneliness. Destitute, God-man, nailed to the cross, God approaching his death. Darkness covers the world. Deprived even of clothing. Aware that Judas had betrayed him. Peter had denied him. All of his disciples had abandoned him. And that his father had forsaken him. There is no loneliness that really compares to Jesus Christ on the cross when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who knew fellowship with the Father from all eternity and left that heavenly fellowship with the Father, is betrayed, denied, abandoned, and forsaken, even by his Father in heaven. We sing about this, friends through fear, his cause disowning, none would interpose to save, but the deepest stroke that bruised him was the one that justice gave. The loneliness of the cross. I think it's helpful to look at that moment, the darkness of it all, Christ there, the God-man, even considering the loneliness of his obedience. No, no human has been obedient to the point of death, let alone the death of the cross. There he is amidst the betrayal, the denial, the abandonment, the mocking, the jeering, even the forsakenness of his, that comes through God in wrath, turning away from him, forsaking him. And he's still obedient to the point of death. There is lo no loneliness like that. It's unparalleled. 
And here's why I think it's so important. At that point, the church consisted of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's it. Everybody else betrayed, abandoned, denied. Jesus Christ alone was at that point being faithful to his God and Father. He was beginning something that nobody else could really quite see. In the throes of that loneliness, we read in Hebrews that he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy set before him? What was it that Jesus there in abject loneliness, the darkness of loneliness, this lonely obedience that goes all the way to the point of death, what was that joy set before him that he was focused on in some way enabling him to endure that lonely, dark cross? Well, at least in part, that joy before him was fellowship. It's amazing how much the New Testament has to say about fellowship. The word is used over and over explicitly as the word fellowship, but it's also there in various ways when it mentions community or communion or even common. In fact, the New Testament is written in a form of Greek called Koine Greek or common Greek, the Greek that was appropriate for fellowships, the common language for communities. And amidst this loneliness that we see the Apostle Paul reference and in, with the backdrop of Christ on the cross, we see in our text, verses 19 through 24, fantastic, glorious expressions, otherworldly expressions of fellowship. The fellowship that was before Jesus Christ on the cross, that he looked forward to in joy from the cross. Verse 21, they all seek after their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But look at what Timothy is to the Apostle Paul. A kindred spirit. Someone who is same-souled, someone who is like-minded, someone who is genuinely, genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippians. Someone who is not only interested in his own interests. That's what verse 21 says, isn't it? Everybody else seeks their own interests, not those of Christ. But Timothy seeks the interests of others before himself. You see what's going on here with the Apostle Paul earlier in the chapter, which we read. He says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says, this whole ability, this phenomenon of living selflessly, of forgetting self, of living as a sacrifice to serve others, of putting the interest of others before yourself, this isn't something that just happens in this dark, perverse world. It took Jesus coming in as an alien, as an outsider, 
of supernatural origin to live among us and give himself selflessly for the interests of others. And look what's resulting. Sure, I wish there were armies of Timothys. But look at the marvel of just Paul and Timothy. Two sinners saved by grace in which Paul can say, look at Timothy, he's of a self-same soul as me. He's a kindred spirit in that he genuinely wants is concerned for your welfare. He's not seeking his own interests, but instead seeking the interest of Christ. There's a whole new world order afoot in the New Testament as demonstrated by Paul and Timothy, Timothy, who are both following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. The fellowship that Jesus Christ had set before him, even from the cross. The joy he was aware of as he endured the shame of the cross. Kindred spirit. Verse 22, Paul goes on. You know of this his proven worth. He served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Profound fellowship that you read of in other pages of the New Testament. The Lord's alive and at work. We're all prone to loneliness. It surrounds us on every side. It's always available to us. It's never in short supply. And the Lord addresses that. Secured the joy set before him by enduring the cross. And now there is fellowship between Paul and Timothy. And it's a, it's a constructive fellowship, isn't it? It's remarkable. It's not like they just get together and, you know, play poker and then go home. Or have a cup of coffee and shoot the breeze, as they say. They're doing monumental things. On the one hand, it's sad that it's just Paul and Timothy, that there's nobody of like interest as they are. On the other hand, we look back and see Jesus Christ on the cross, and then decades later, Paul and Timothy and the church, not so slowly, gradually taken over and take, taking over the dark pagan world. And we stand here centuries and centuries later and see that it's still in effect. The work they were doing as father and son in the faith, as kindred spirits, as those who had a shared, genuine concern for the welfare of the church, it goes on. We're a part of it. We're literally looking at words that Paul wrote for our own edification and encouragement this morning. And it, certainly Paul and Timothy are, are held up before us and we're welcomed into relating to them, but it's certainly broader than just Paul and Timothy. Look at verse 19 and then verse 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then verse 24, I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. The whole church is in view. Christ provides the backdrop with his faithfulness unto death on the cross. 
And Paul, Timothy, and this church in Philippi are gradually fulfilling that joy that was set before even Jesus Christ by coming into fellowship with one another. I know how easy it is to become sour towards the church. That's part of the Christian life. I had a friend who one time told me that uh, the definition of a friend is someone that you really know and still like anyway. Somebody that you really get to know and you still like them anyway, that's what a friend is. And, you know, that, that really speaks volumes about the church. We, we come together, we share life together, we sit down together, we observe one another, we do things all the time together, we plan events together, we study the Bible together, we sing together, we visit one another, and we really get to know each other. And each one of us is a sinner. We each bring baggage to the table. We all have demons, right? We all have skeletons in the closet. And then we look at church history and various things just stand out to us. And before you know it, we're sort of only saying what Paul says in verse 21. Everybody else seeks their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. And I think we need to sort of learn the bigger picture from these verses the camaraderie, the friendship, the fellowship, the commonality, that through Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, that obedience to the point of death, that now we're a part of that joy that was set before him back then, that we are kindred spirits to one extent or another with each one, each other, that the Lord is at work in us bringing us to genuinely be concerned with the welfare of the church. That relationships in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are described in terms of fathers and sons, families. The most intimate connections come through this church that Jesus Christ established and began and continues today. To put it in a term, consider the uniqueness of the church. Not a corporation, not a Facebook group, not a political party, not followers of some human or human ideology or philosophy. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ, unique, saying no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your baggage is, no matter what your wealth is, no matter what your difficulties are, what your addictions are, what your proclivities are, your preferences are, what, no matter what it is, this is where you belong. You're a sinner in desperate need of grace. 
And that grace was secured for you on the cross of Calvary. Come to this Lord Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed to call you what? A brother or a sister to welcome you into this family. It was for this that he died. For this that he endured the shame of the cross. The uniqueness of the church. That you need nothing in your hands to bring but simply to the cross. Cling. It meets us in our most fundamental loneliness. We see, apart from Christ, that we're alone and we're sinners at that. And Christ comes as our Savior, Shepherd, and Lord and calls us brothers or sisters to the extent that we have camaraderie, same-souledness with each other, relationships even more meaningful than biological ones. It's unparalleled. There's no other organization. If you think about other organizations, they generally start by a selection process. If you're good enough, if you have a resume strong enough, if your performance is strong enough, if you've got the gifts we're looking for, if you've got the money we're interested in, you can come be a part of this club. The Christian church, Jesus Christ, says none of that. None of that. I'm actually, couldn't be less interested in that. What you need to be to be a part of this club is a sinner who knows your need for grace. You. You personally. Each one of you. You as an individual. In King James language, not ye, but thee. The one and only unique you in all your unique circumstances. Do you see the fellowship that Paul is talking about in these verses when it comes to the church? That he could have this kind of bond and relationship with Timothy? that it extends to the church, that it brings him joy and encouragement, even in prison, that it's so meaningful to him that he can do without Timothy for a time to send him off to the Philippians. This is actually my favorite thing about these verses. Look at what it is that unites Paul and Timothy as kindred spirits. Verse 20 you who, there, there's no one else of a kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You see how encouraging that is? Not Timothy because he's got a PhD in theology and philosophy. Not Timothy because he excels us all in physical abilities and strength. And Timothy is really a humble servant throughout the entire New Testament. There's two books named Timothy, and neither of them are written by Timothy. 
every time we read about Timothy, we read about him in this situation, uh, taking his cue from the Apostle Paul, acting as a father towards his son. Something so humble, something so simple, something so accessible and available to each of you. Being genuinely concerned for the church's welfare. You see what that means for you? Loneliness. Never in short supply. Always available for each one of you. So through the life and death of Jesus Christ, he's established the church and has made you a part of it. You're here right now as part of that church. Assailed by various things that can certainly bring you to sad loneliness. But right here at this very moment, in fellowship, worshiping alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, hearing the word of God in your own common community language. On the brink of a fellowship lunch. And for you to leave sad loneliness behind takes what you are enabled to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Simply put the interests of others before yourself the way did Christ Jesus did on his way to the cross and on the cross. The way Paul and Timothy did in their service to the church at Philippi. Accessible, available, always available, never in short supply. Simply be genuinely concerned for your brother or sister in Christ. And use the fellowship lunch to do just that. Father in heaven, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that fellowship would mark us as a people, that we wouldn't make it overly complicated, but would cherish relationships among one another, that we would delight in the uniqueness of the church, that we would see what you accomplished at the cross to realize that this right now that we're a part of is that joy that was set before you then. Lead us to find kindred spirits within the church that we are parts of. Make us those who are genuinely concerned for one another. Continue to teach us how to put the interests of others before ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.